Lord, it is by your grace and your grace alone that you call us unto yourself and then you send us out empowered by your Holy Spirit to do your work and your will in your body, the church, and as we have just heard, out into the world both locally and beyond. And so, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, and open our minds, I pray, to hear your word to us today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Friends, as Jesus calls you unto himself, we have been reminded from God's word that it is by God's grace that he gives us gifts or a gift set for mission and ministry. This isn't to puff us up. This isn't to overwhelm us. This is God's Holy Spirit at work in the world, in and through the body of Christ, which is one. We all need each other, amen? Younger and older, we all need each other. For Scripture calls us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. Beginning here and then out into the world. And when we hear the word prophet, we may scratch our heads a little bit. We, we may um, get a little scared or, or we may just look to the world. I mean, the, the world has many different ways of, of showing us prophetic stuff. I mean, we can do it joking around. I mean, Johnny Carson was great at that, right? Karnak the Magnificent. Anybody Johnny Carson fans? Yeah, right? Where the answer was there in that, that card. I dropped a card earlier, right? Remember that? <laughs> and he would say what the question was. And then to the kind of the scary and the, the occult, right? You have... Uh, uh, tarot card readers or Ouija boards, you know, trying to be prophetic in a worldly way. But let's, let's come back to Scripture. We like to think of Old Testament prophets as those who predicted the future, what we call foretelling. Yet, if we dig back into the Scriptures... Their primary task was not to predict the future. It was forth-telling. Not foretelling, but forth. Say forth. Forth. F-O-R-T-H. Forth-telling. Communicating the word of God to the people. They weren't always popular for doing that. The word of God cuts to the heart. It challenges us. It convicts us. It encourages us. In one way, you could say the Old Testament prophets were God's prosecuting attorneys against a covenant community that had broken its vows. The Old Te Testament prophets were called to interpret God's word to the people. And so in the like manner, the New Testament prophet, the one that the Apostle Paul talks about, the one that Jesus models to us, was also one gifted in interpreting and explaining the word of God. Now, it may be significant that the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 12, again, what Michael just read for us, you've heard it before, and I bet you're going to hear it the next two weeks as well. But what's the first gift on the list? Prophesy or, to, or prophecy. 
It's very interesting that as Paul talks about the other spiritual gifts in his letters, in Ephesians 4, he talks about the office of a prophet, one of the leadership positions in the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about a a prophecy or one who is given a word of the Lord. And this may be for a time or season when God's word is given to someone. And of course, Paul also has checks and balances to that. But what we're talking about when we hear the word prophesy or prophecy here in Romans um, chapter 12, what we're seeing is this is made up of our DNA. If you have prophetic DNA in you, that's not just going to come and go. It's going to stick with you. The Apostle Paul thinks highly of this gift. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue love earnestly and desire the spiritual gift that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Friends, we shouldn't be afraid of the word prophecy. The Holy Spirit has a special role and purpose for it in our lives. It's very interesting, like I just said, that the word prophecy appears in all three of the Apostle Paul's gift lists, whether that be in Romans, 1 Corinthians, or Ephesians. You know, prophets have a special ability to communicate verbally and articulately, which I can't do right now. (laughs) Just another word to add to my list, friends. I know Janae keeps a list of all the words that... Make everybody smile. But prophets also sometimes speak spontaneously. In a group discussion, they they may participate freely and with conviction. And sometimes this is intimidating, isn't it? To those who are more hesitant to express their thoughts. Maybe you've been in a Bible study or, or life group or a Sunday school class where someone seems to like to take over the comments. Interestingly enough, those with the gift of intercessory prayer who spend longer periods in intense prayer often have the spiritual DNA of prophecy. Why? Because they're given guidance by the Lord as to how to speak the truth in love or to speak the truth with grace. Individuals with strong prophetic DNA in them that the Lord has given them tend to communicate frankly, directly, and persuasively, even with friends correcting you without hesitation. Peter, he even corrected Jesus, didn't he? He rebuked Jesus when the Lord spoke of his impending death. He also rebuked the Jews and called them to repentance on the day of Pentecost. Peter is a great example of someone with prophetic DNA. The spiritual DNA of prophecy may be one of the most difficult ones to exercise in the church, often misunderstood or misused. It can easily become more negative than positive, projecting condemnation and judgment. In contrast, as we look at Jesus... 
Jesus the prophet had the marvelous ability to rebuke sin while still loving the sinner. Those with strong prophetic DNA often lack that same ability and can exercise their gift in negative ways. Prophets may tend to be more concerned with the truth and righteousness than with people. Others are easily offended by prophet-motivated people who come across in such direct, straightforward, and oftentimes seemingly insensitive ways. Well, today, let's just catch a glimpse of Jesus exercising his prophetic personality in the scriptures. There's many examples, but I invite you to turn to the 21st chapter of Matthew. Matthew 21, we'll begin reading at verse 10. Why am I doing that? To set the context. Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry. I'm not trying to rush Easter, but, but I want to set context. Jesus just comes into Jerusalem. And where does he go first? He goes to the temple. And so verse 10 tells us, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So I'm just going to stop right there. So obviously what he's about to do in the temple isn't, isn't the only instance of Jesus exercising his prophetic personality. Obviously, he had been identified as a prophet for one to be able to teach God's word and truth. And people were saying, who is this person? How can this be? And so, verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them. That's very important. Jesus footnotes scripture to exercise his prophetic ministry. It is written, he said to them. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers, referencing Isaiah and Jeremiah. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked? Yes, replied Jesus, have you, ever, have you never read from Psalm 8? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them, and he went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. Wow. One of the most, one thing that most of us need to be impressed about here today is Jesus is disgusted by the mix, mixture of worship and money. We struggle a lot with this in the church, don't we? One of the most impressed things on my heart is that Jesus is disgusted by the mixture of worship 
and money. That he wants the two kept as distinct as possible. And that as a rule, he doesn't want to see people selling things and worshiping God on the same grounds. We struggle with this, don't we? Do we hold bingo in the fellowship hall, right? <laughs> and and this, is, this is something that we, you know, Jesus is really, really interested in. Nowhere else in the Gospels, friends, is Jesus as physically rough as he is here. Now, some people said, oh, that gives us freedom to go and be bold and rough with others, you know, shoving the word of God down people's throats. Maybe the Crusaders thought, let's just go conquer the world for Jesus. <laughs> John Calvin, our good friend John Calvin, cautions us and says, notice who did this. To which we also might add, notice how Jesus did this. He touches no one's person. He, he hits no enemy. He does not go into the sacred part of the temple where the sacrifices are offered. All this, friends, takes place where? In the court of the Gentiles. And why is Jesus so frustrated that this is taking place in the court of the Gentiles? Because that's where there was apparently too much business for worship to be focused or to even be taking place. It disturbed him. I'm sure it disturbed him enough that the Gentiles were segregated in God's holy temple, but that they weren't even allowed to worship because there was too much money changing and sacrifices being sold. I would say it's probably not correct to say that Jesus destroys property here, um, but he does rearrange the furniture just a little bit, okay? <laughs> Jesus is not only love and, and grace and mercy, friends. He's what? He's also justice. And a lot of times that is in the heart of a prophet, wanting to see justice, God's word defended, God's truth shown. Jesus did not remain silent when the church in his time went grossly astray. May we be given the light to see which most angers Jesus about his church in our time. That's a scary question. That's a, that's a humbling question, friends. I tend to agree with a lot of other commentators here that it was not so much the shady practices that were going on as it was the callous location that angered Jesus. Where they were doing all this stuff was in the court of the Gentiles. Worship was being disrupted. Gentile worship was being disrupted. And so Jesus footnotes Scripture. It stands written, he says, and he quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah, that my house should be a house of prayer, which really means not only prayer, but all the aspects of worship. Friends, Jesus sets before us quite an example. No sooner had Jesus thrown the commercialism out than what happens? He invites the poor and the lame in. 
There's this great consolation to us that even when the great spiritual powers of the first century sought to suppress the faithful, those who needed a physical touch, and the children praised God for what they saw. But Jesus deals with the little people and puts to shame the big people. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Those whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. So Jesus was really doing a couple things here as he rearranged the furniture in the temple. Jesus sets hearts straight as to what should be happening in God's house And he also heals the little people and rebukes the big people. Jesus is really angry with the church's leadership. And may all of us in church leadership do a fearless moral inventory to ask if we are in any way selling and buying in the temple of God or suppressing the childlike praise of Christ in any ways. I shared at session the other night, one of the things that impacted me from the day one of coming to Good Shepherd was that exchange of blessing time. It never gets old to me. Whether they're here in person or you see it in the screen, don't ever underestimate giving them a hand for leading in worship. Good food for thought. Good food for thought with Jesus' example of exercising his prophetic personality. So those of us with strong prophetic DNA must be able, like Jesus, to love the sinner while hating the sin. Does that make sense? Loving the sinner and hating the sin. Prophets may sense many things in the lives of others which is contrary to the will of God. But this insight is usually given as a guide to prayer and not as information for confrontation. And prayer is their safeguard against developing a critical attitude. And so... If there's any advice to all you prophets out there, don't be ashamed. Don't go run and hide. But always pray first. If you have prophetic DNA, always pray first. Speak the truth in love only when directed by God. After he prepares your words and the other's mind and heart. Otherwise, you may find yourself with few friends and a critical reputation. Just being honest. It's hard being a prophet. Jesus even, you know, heard the words or said the words, right? A prophet isn't welcome in his own town. All the time he heard, what good can come from Nazareth? So in spite of these apparent liabilities, the spiritual DNA of prophecy is God's gift of sanctified criticism and is absolutely essential for the survival and renewal of the church. Now, let me say, I believe that our denomination that we have entered into, that we connect with, ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, was born out of some prophetic words. 
And yes, they were tall steeple pastors back in 2011, but they prophetically wrote a white paper to the church at the time, the Peace USA, out of concern that the word of God was being watered down or neglected or even abandoned. These were prophetic words for such a time as this. And here we are 13 years later. So let me say it again. In spite of these apparent liabilities, the spiritual DNA of prophecy is God's gift of sanctified criticism. And it is absolutely essential for the survival and renewal of the church. Is Good Shepherd perfect? Absolutely not. Is Eco perfect? Absolutely not. Is any of us on this side of heaven perfect? Absolutely not. But the gift of prophecy can motivate the church to deal with matters of justice and righteousness, not only internally, but also in society. When the church fails in some areas of its essential ministry, God often raises up prophetic voices and prophetic groups to call the church to renewal and corrective action, both locally and denominationally. And that's hard stuff and often misunderstood. Jesus in his life and ministry revealed many of these characteristics of a prophet. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere about righteousness, judgment, and the kingdom of God and often was misunderstood. He rebuked the Pharisees. He spoke in the name and authority of God in John chapter 8. He experienced rejection, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Jesus' manner convinced the crowd that he actually was a prophet. As we just heard today, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And yet Jesus was so guided by the Holy Spirit in his ministry that the prophetic was balanced with what? Love. He truly loved sinners while rebuking sin, giving prophets in the church today an excellent example to follow. And so, friends, you may be saying, do I have this gift? Is that interwoven in me? Not a word from the Lord, but is, do I have this prophetic DNA stirring within me? Hopefully today as we've looked at an example from Jesus, and as you've heard some pros and cons, and most of all, the foundation of prayer. Amen? If you have this stirring within you, take time to pray. Take time to pray and to listen to Jesus. What do I do with this? How do I communicate it? And who and when do I do it to? So friends, as we get ready to um, sing our our closing hymn, I'm going to uh, invite the worship team back front. front. I'm having a tough time today. I am not a prophet. I cannot articulate. I'm going to invite the worship team back to lead us. <laughs> I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then on the four, it's a fourth Sunday, and on the fourth Sunday of the month, we have been just exercising just a simple blessing 
of an anointing of oil. And so I'm going to have a couple folks um, up here. I think Pastor Joy and Marcia Stanton, one of our, our elders. I'm going to have Pastor Janae in the back because I realized in the past, I haven't said, if you're not physically able to come up and would just love to be anointed, you can raise your hand and Pastor Janae will be on the lookout for that. But this is just a, a sign and seal of God's love and God's blessing. It's, it's, it's not magical. But it's just a sign and seal that Jesus loves you and may his presence, his presence be reminded that it will be with you always. So let me pray. We're going to sing this hymn. And then if we're done with this hymn early, I'm going to come up and pray. You keep coming if you still want that sign. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for giving us all gifts for mission and ministry. And we give you honor and glory and praise. Speak to us now as we sing and as we are ministered to through prayer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.